This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I promised you last night that we'd be sitting down with Kevin Northup to talk about the Q League, the Mooseheads, the Leafs, and more. And now he's right here, right now with me. Kevin, how's the day shaking out for you? It's been a great day so far, recovering from uh, a couple of games on the weekend. The vocal cords are back up to par, so I'm ready to go. And i got to ask you, how does it feel to be back in the rink? I know I watched the debut broadcast and the spacing and how everything's different, but does it not feel good to be back in the rink calling games and watching actual hockey? Oh, it feels amazing. Um, that's, that's what I love to do. And I was back doing it after so many months of, you know, just kind of uh, my, my job role changing a bit and, and contributing to, to different things. Like, and now it felt good the whole week, really, on the lead up to uh, getting ready for the broadcast, getting the rosters, seeing who's who's where now and uh, talking about this Maritimes division, which looks to be pretty competitive this year. And then the first game hits and you're going into Scotiabank Center. It feels a little different. Everything is, is uh, you know, socially distanced. And uh, we have our, our production truck that parks uh, inside Scotiabank Center. And uh, I'm in a, a separate vault. So we can't really interact with, the, the camera people, the people that are in the truck, we all have to stay uh, separate and then go to our, our spot up top of the catwalk uh, at the arena. So it's a lot more communication through phone, communication through the headset. There's really, um, you know, that kind of thing. And, and we don't have the access to the players that we used to. So all of that's different. Some of our broadcast elements are different. But at the end of the day, standing up there, looking down on Cape Breton, Halifax, it felt natural. It felt good to be home. Now, the other part of it, too, is, I mean, we'll talk about the the FOMO that's going on around other leagues and people reaching out out here to see what it's like to be at a game. But we also have fans in the building. So we actually have some, you know, spectators taking in these games. Um, you know, I know the atmosphere isn't a full house, but is it still rocking? Is it still loud? Do the fans still get into her? The fans do still get into it, absolutely, and, and looking down for, from my spot, you can easily see how everyone is, is socially distanced. Uh, every other row is not filled. There's there's different things now from whether getting food, staying in your own bubble of 200 uh, in your own entrance, and I have to say, I commend the staff at Scotiabank Center. It's a hard thing to pull off, to, 
make sure that everybody stays, uh, you know, in their zone. Uh, it had to be a daunting task just to get this thing set up. And I've heard nothing but positive remarks from the fans who, who have attended the games. Uh, and, and, and like I mentioned, things are different now. Uh, if you want to get, uh, get a beer in your seat, then you have to order it on an online app, and then they'll bring it to you. You can't just get up out of your seat and, and go get a beer and bring it back down. It's 2020, it doesn't work that way anymore, as many things don't work the way they, they used to. So overall, um, pretty good that way. And, and the atmosphere, it's not as raucous as obviously a, a full house of 10,000, but uh, the 2,000, they can still make some noise when they want to. Now, I want to ask you, obviously, there's a lot of people reaching out and talking to you, and I see all the different, uh, I wish that was us, or it's amazing to see you guys calling games. Who has been the uh, the biggest person who's reached out so far? Because I know a lot of different leagues will probably be reaching out down this way to not only see how you guys are doing it, but to see how the fans are being into it. Um, has anyone reached out to you to see, hey, Kevin, you know, you guys are set up that way. You know, how do you think it would look here? What do you think we should do here? Or what were your, your hesitations or thoughts going into this when uh, everything opened back up? Well, to be honest, uh, not a whole lot of people have, have really reached out in that regard. But uh, uh, one guy, um, um, Steve Clark, who does uh, the OHL, and not uh, going right now, nor the WHL, um, and he reached out and just said, hey, have the broadcast type of thing. And uh, Sebastian Goulet from EDC Sports, if you guys the Memorial Cup. Um, he calls the, all the games, uh, calls the Montreal Canadiens games as well. Um, he reached out too and, and, and said, have a good broadcast. So it was nice to hear from them. Um, but haven't heard a whole lot from, uh, from a, you know, any, I guess, uh, national network broadcasters or anything like that, wondering how it works. I, I guess they kind of know how it works. That Sportsnet did a great job uh, with, uh, with the bubble in, in Toronto and, and Edmonton. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm sure you know, some folks are paying attention to what we're doing because we look at this past weekend with all the teams in Quebec that are shut down, with Moncton not playing right now. There's only five junior teams in Canada going, and and we had three of them on the air over the weekend. So uh, I feel very, very lucky and fortunate to be doing what I'm doing right now uh, because I know a lot of people that work in hockey uh, can't do that right now, and... Uh, hopefully everyone can get back to doing what they love soon. For sure. Well, I want to ask you about the on-ice product of the Halifax Mooseheads. Obviously, a lot of fanfare and a guy like Bobby Orr coming on the team, wanting to be called Bobby as well. Um, you know, this squad here, a little bit younger. Um, you know, they're looking to make a little noise. And you look at the standings, and they're trying to do just that. Two, three, and one, I believe they are right now. Um, you know, not obviously in the positive things for wins, but what do you see out of this squad so far, Kevin? Um, for the games that you've seen, and uh, what do you think they need to do to take that next step and take the jump up the ladder? Well, they're certainly young. Uh, on average, uh, they're one of the youngest Moosehead teams in history, and that's just right now, obviously. Uh, some more players could come into the fold uh, a bit later on in the season, but uh, they're led by uh, Zach LaRue and Elliot Desnoyers, who came over from the Moncton Wildcats as part of the uh, – finishing touches on the Bogru and Jared McIsaac deal from last year. Uh, Zach LaRue, a magician with the puck, uh, led the Q in rookie scoring last year, uh, draft eligible for 2021. Uh, I definitely see uh, some NHL teams uh, scouting him. I know there were a few scouts in the building over the weekend uh, taking that in. So uh, LaRue will certainly be a guy that the Mooseheads will rely on. But 
some of the young kids, too, I mean, they have four 16-year-olds on their roster. Uh, one guy who had a big game on Saturday was Marcus Vitacek, scored his first career two-goal game, uh, played for the Lac St. Louis Lions uh, last season, along with James Swan, who's also a Moosehead, and along with uh, Bobby Orr. Uh, they all played uh, for that team last year, so they know each other well. Um, I, I can see those young guys, you know, really learning how to develop throughout the season. We obviously still hasn't, haven't seen uh, Justin Barron yet. Uh, he's looking forward to coming back to the lineup probably early November. We'll see him drafted by Colorado in the first round. Just a, a great accomplishment for him. He's, he's had it rough with injuries the past uh, couple of years. And the goaltending. I mean, if not for Cole McLaren uh, over the weekend, it was it was a rough, ugly loss against Charlottetown on Friday. They lost five nothing. But I, I looked at that game on Saturday against St. John. They won it five four in a shootout. But the Sea Dogs almost uh, outshot them by double. Uh, the Sea Dogs are a fantastic team. They'll make some noise this year. But McLaren was really, really good for Halifax in that game. And there was news breaking last week, and it is true that Alex Corvell uh, is going to be coming back to the Mooseheads. So that leaves Halifax with four 20-year-olds. Wow. Uh, they got some tough decisions to make. Uh, I can't see them carrying both Corvell and McLaren for too long. Uh, I don't see them getting rid of Jason Horvath or Liam Payton, their other 20s. So Cam Russell's got a tough decision to make coming up when Gravel does return. So would you see Gravel maybe being that trade piece dangled to a team that's looking for a deep run this year? I mean, obviously we don't know what's going to be this year. We talk about the Q, uh, you know, over in Quebec being shut down right now, Moncton shut down, um, you know, the teams over here are playing. But you have to wonder, you know, will a team spend assets to get a guy like Gravel, obviously an accomplished goaltender that can help an older squad or a squad that wants to go deep, but what are you going deep into? And I'm wondering, before we uh, jump into the, this part of it, where would you see Gravel going, and do you see the Mooseheads wanting to deal him, or have him there to prop up a younger crew? Well, Gravel, uh, before training camp, he uh, left team and said he was going to pursue uh, some opportunities in pro hockey, but Right now, not much pro hockey being played, so that's not uh, not panning out. So he again reached out to the Mooseheads, and and he's going to come back. And uh, honestly, McLaren's been holding the fort pretty well. I don't know how much of an upgrade Gravel will be over McLaren in that creep. I think close, honestly, uh, in their games. So it's going to look like perhaps one of them for a little while. They have to cut down to 320s by December the 1st. Uh, may start a game, and then the other sits in the press box so that Peyton and Horvath can play, and they keep sixteen-year-old uh, goaltender, uh, sorry, seventeen-year-old goaltender uh, Brady James as uh, as their backup, either Gravel or McLaren for a short period of time. But uh, as far as a, a trade goes, it's so unpredictable right now. We don't know if Quebec's even going to come back to playing this year. They have to get the COVID-19 situation uh, a little more sorted out like we have it here in the Atlantic bubble, thankfully. It's not a seller's market this year at all, um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Will a team uh, take a look at Gravel or McLaren, perhaps, and say, hey, we want them over here, we want to go on a run this year, we'll trade some assets to get them? I think teams are a little cautious now, James, especially after last season where COVID wiped out the playoffs, and look at a team like Moncton, look at a team like Cape Breton, Shakutami. They spent significant 
asset, significant draft picks and getting their rosters up, only to have it uh, fall on the wayside this year. So I don't think teams are going to be too keen on giving away too many assets right now. So let's talk about the other side of that as well with the Q. Um, are you hearing anything that you know Quebec may not come back online, or is the hope that they will? And the other question I'll add to that as well, I'll get you to answer both parts, is um, when the Q does come back in Quebec, um, how is it going to work schedule-wise where they will be behind the Maritime teams uh, in terms of games played? Are they going to make those up, or is it just going to be, hey, these are the games you get, and wherever you finish, you finish? I think in 2020. Oh, I, I lost you there, Kevin. Sorry. Oh, you got me now. I got you now. Yep. Okay, sorry about that. Um, like I said, 2020, anything could happen as far as scheduling goes. Um, we don't even know how the playoffs are going to work at this point. So, at this point, I don't know if. If uh, if Quebec teams will get to play that 60 game mark like the Maritime teams are looking at, um, and, and if not, maybe they'll just have their own playoffs in, in Quebec, and we'll have our own playoffs here in the Maritimes. The winners meet in a bubble somewhere. That very well could be what we're what we're looking at. As far as when it comes back in Quebec, uh, I know they're off until at least October 28th at this point, um, and it just depends. I guess they have to work with public health. Uh, the Q did just get some funding from the Quebec government, $12 million, uh, for those Quebec teams to, to keep operating. And it's, it's just been a mess with, with COVID-19 there. Uh, 18 players on the Blainville, Boisbriand, Armada were tested positive and eight on the Sherbrooke Phoenix. So we need to avoid that happening uh, and avoid that chance for anyone coming back uh, in Quebec where, where the, uh, the uh, coronavirus is running way more rampant than it is here. Uh, Moncton right now, of course, uh, the news broke last week, they're in the orange zone for COVID, so they are uh, effectively uh, not quite shut down. They are practicing, and we're still waiting to see how that works for their games. Uh, I know they can't host games at Avenir Center right now, uh, but hopefully the team can get on the road and start playing again. I uh, saw them a couple of weeks ago against the Mooseheads here in Halifax, and they are scheduled to play Thursday the 29th in Halifax, and we'll have that game on East Link as well. Hoping we have that game at least if, if we can get that off the ground. So, uh, again, with Quebec, it's just who knows at this point uh, what will happen, um, you know, with uh, the virus and how they contain it. So that's what they'll have to look and see. I don't think they'll come back if, if they feel the players are at risk. Well, the, the one thing that's been floated and a lot of people kind of galaxy brain this into, into reality is uh, maybe getting these players here over in the maritime bubble, you know, everyone who's going to play. But the likelihood of that with these guys who go to school and different things going on within their livelihood, I mean, I don't think you can just uproot them and bring them here. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. And obviously, uh, you talk about the funding. I mean, you look at a bubble like the NHL had, and that had all the funding in the world, you know, everything done. It would be a lot harder to set something like that, that up here. So my, my big question for this would be, if the Quebec teams do not come back and you just have the maritime bubble teams and per se the OHL and the WHL start up, um, would our winner be selected? And this is just galaxy brain thinking. Um, you can just give your best answer. I'm not going to hold you to it. Um, just wondering, would the team that, I guess, comes out of the maritime division be the one to represent if there is a Memorial Cup? 
very well could happen. Um, I, and as far as you were talking about, yeah, you're, you're right. The, the teams in Quebec getting them here into a bubble would be extreme, extremely difficult. Um, they go to school, the hotel stays, or wherever they would stay, that would cost money too. So I, I don't see that happening. And, and Quebec would fall with, you know, the OHL and the WHL who aren't playing right now. Um, a Memorial Cup uh, for 2021, it's not looking great right now. I'll have to say, <laughs> I mean, if the other leagues can't get going, then I don't think there will be a Memorial Cup uh, this season. And that's, uh, you know, very disappointing. Uh, you know, after uh, that would be for the second year in a row uh, after such a success in Halifax in, in 2019. Um, but uh, the Maritime teams, it could just be the six teams in a playoff format. Uh, the winner is crowned the winner of Maritime Division. Maybe the President Cup will be awarded to that team if the Quebec teams can't go. But uh, I think the league definitely wants to have Quebec back up and running. At some point, whether it's, you know, with, with a month left in the season or if six months left in the season, they want to get those teams back up and running in time for a potential playoff. Well, I mean, what they can do is, and this is just me having fun with it, um, you know, if you can't have the O going, the Dub going, and then obviously the teams from Quebec, I mean, just bring the Memorial Cup over here. We had a great time in Halifax. Why not just make it the the Memorial Cup of the Atlantic Division and have fun with it? Continue the tradition that we had going in 2019 or 2018 when we held everything here and had a great time. I, I don't know why we just don't do that. <laughs> well, I'd love to see it. <laughs> I really would. We've had success with the Memorial Cup the last 10 years, you know. St. John's won it, Halifax. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. So why not bring it back over? I say. Yeah, no, make sure it's here. Why not? I mean, this year is twenty twenty, right? We keep saying it. So why not keep another twenty twenty thing going on? But I look at everything going on with the the OHL and uh, obviously the dub. I want to ask you about the OHL going forward. They may not be able to play with contact. Only uh, accidental would be allowed. And I'm wondering if you think the OHL should go for that deal. Um, or if they should just uh, sit tight and wait to see if things clear up better to be able to get back on the ice. Ooh. <laughs> I can't see how they can play hockey without contact. I, I really don't see how that how that works out. Um, I know the physicality aspect of the game is maybe not as important as it was five, ten years ago even, but... There, there's going to be contact. They can't get away from that. And if you're looking at players that are, you know, developing their game still, these are kids, remember. It's, they're, a yep. lot of them are 17, 18 years old. If they take a year of playing with no contact, what's going to happen when they go back to that contact? They that get was, used yeah. to a certain way. Yeah. They get used to a certain style. And if they're draft eligible, NHL teams say, oh, he was great this season with no contact, but – What's he going to be like when they start hitting him? So that's a real, a real danger, I think, players. And I don't think the OHL should come back in unless they can play the game the way it's intended. Well, that's why I spoke with Mark Seidel, and he works a lot with obviously young players and draft boards and working with teens in the NHL and stuff. And we we spoke about the the development factor. You just touched on it there. You look at these young players, and this is a development time for them. You know, and you have these guys who either are draft eligible or draft hopeful for whatever year they may be eligible for, and you lose that year, you lose that um, 
ability. And then if you have the dub and the Q allowing hitting and allowing that to go on, or physical contact, we should say, not just hitting, because there's a lot of different ways that you can definitely get into one another's space on the ice. But, you know, those guys will be further ahead. And exactly what you just said, then you have these players jumping up and going to play, you know, their peers, whether it be at the World Junior Hockey Championships, if that goes on, or whether it's at a training camp or whatever, and they haven't had that contact. It's a whole different ball game, and I don't know about you, but retraining your brain not to hit after you've been doing it for so long, or even grind along the boards, you know, hold a guy up or whatever, you wouldn't be allowed to do that either. So all those little things, those minutiae things that we talk about, battling in front of the net, you'd have to have spacing for that. It just It takes away from what you've been taught, what you've learned, and you have to relearn the game, which at those pivotal years, I don't think is a smart thing to do. And I think it would ruin some guys in an aspect because then you have to shift back again to the other way the next year. And I, I don't like it. I don't buy it. I don't think it should happen. No, uh, I think it's an unreasonable request uh, from the Ontario government. And uh, I don't think the OHL will go for it. Um, you know, not many players make, obviously, the international rosters, but for the O. Lo- losing you again there, Kevin. Oh, sorry about that. No problem. Bad service here. Um, and yeah, the um, the the OHL uh, and WHL, as far as you know, international hockey goes. Not all the players get to go play, you know, in something like the World Juniors. But I'm glad to see that looks like it's on track to happen in Edmonton in the bubble uh, during the holidays. So I think every hockey fan is looking forward to that. No, it's going to be amazing to have the the World Junior Hockey Championships. And I think, uh, and this has been long my thought of things, that the NHL will come back uh, at the tail end of that itself. I think the World Junior Championships will be a launching board for everything coming back online for, for most hockey. And hopefully that's the way it goes. Um, I want to ask you one more question about the Mooseheads before we, we swerve. What do you think in this Atlantic division, the realistic expectations of the Mooseheads are this year? Is it uh, a year that we should be hoping for something big out of them? Or is it a, this is a young squad, enjoy it, and whatever happens, we'll, we'll take that? I think the latter, James, for sure. Um, this is a young squad, and if you know they can make some noise in, in the playoffs, it would be probably unexpected. Uh, they're a team that's still, uh, you know, focusing on a rebuild after losing all those assets uh, a season and a half ago with Lavois and, and Gru and McIsaac and, and company. So, but the future looks bright. As I talked about, uh, I think Zach LaRue is going to be uh, their superstar this year. He'll put up some big points. Uh, Elliot Desnoyers, as we talked about, he was just drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers in the fifth round last week. So uh, those two guys will be uh, the straw that stirs the drink for the Mooseheads and also Justin Barron when he gets back and he's healthy. Uh, I, I look for Cam Wynott to take a, a big step in his game this year as a 17-year-old on the blue line. And uh, the goaltending situation, I mean, it'll either be Gravel or, or McLaren uh, once again. So uh, that's pretty solid in net. Mooseheads could surprise a few people, uh, but as far as you know, comparing to some of the other teams in that division, I think St. John and Charlottetown will be battling for first place. Moncton and Cape Breton um, have taken a step back from last year, but the big surprise has been the Acne Bathers Tan. Seriously, who are yeah. After a, a couple of a couple of years of real, uh, well, uh, maybe five six win seasons, it hasn't been good in Bathers since they won the Memorial Cup in 2018. 
but they're looking like they're on the upward swing. And they actually have the most Maritimers uh, of any team in that division on their squad with 15. So it's good to see so many Maritimers doing well and uh, Bathurst kind of getting back up into that upper echelon of the division. Yeah, they're definitely a surprise this year. You, you, when you look at the record, you're like, wow, you mean where they were the past couple of years, they, they're kind of the footnote for everyone else. And you don't want to say that about a junior team, but that's the way it was. And, you know, it was almost an easy couple points for whoever was playing them. So it's good to see them on the upswing. Um, you know, as a Halifax Moosehead kind of fan, uh, I don't want to see Charlottetown or Moncton doing uh, the good things, but unfortunately they are on the upswing. And I don't mind the St. John Sea Dogs, so... If, if Halifax has to uh, to play the second fiddle to everybody else this year and, and get some experience, you know, Kevin, we'll be all right with that. But we know what happens once everything starts to get on track for this team and big things, big expectations. So I can't wait for those days to come back around to Moose Country. Well, I know a lot of fans can't wait for that uh, either after 2019 and the hosting Memorial Cup, getting to the championship game. Uh, fans will be, be hungry for some results again. Well, speaking of results, obviously we talked about the Maple Leafs the last time we were on here, so we'll shift gears right quick, and I want to get your thoughts. Obviously, we'll talk about the Maple Leafs and the Canadians, two teams that have uh, beefed up on the offseason so far. We don't know exactly when the NHL will start. January 1st is supposed to be the date, but I want to get your thoughts. What do you think of the uh, the good old Toronto Maple Leafs and what they've done this offseason? They had to do something. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't working. Oh, boy, uh, that series against Columbus, uh, you know, their de- defense was exposed really, really bad. Um, uh, that miraculous comeback in, in game four, I don't know about you, James, uh, maybe I'm not a real Leaf fan, but I shut it off after 3 nothing. I didn't see the comeback, I left my phone in the other room, and I woke up the next morning very pleasantly surprised that they forced the game five. Uh, that was probably one of the craziest things that's ever happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but uh, I like the additions they've made. Um, I was disappointed that we didn't get Petrangelo, but he's he's big money contract. Uh, he would have been perfect on the Leafs blue line, along with more. It'll be great. Uh, it'll be nice to have him. Uh, Zach Bogosian is a, a guy that's had a downward trajectory on his career, but he just won a Stanley Cup with Tampa Bay, so... Uh, could be a big body and a difference on the blue line for the Leafs there. But they couldn't come back with, you know, uh, Justin Hall and Travis Dermott as maybe in their top couple pair of defensemen. It just, was, it just hasn't been working out with those guys. Nothing against them. They, they've shown flashes, but they're not consistent, reliable defensemen in my eyes. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't turn that game off because I learned my lesson when the New England Patriots were down all the way to the Atlanta Falcons and came back and won, and won the Super Bowl, and I went to bed. I thought it was done, over with, and I missed one of the most miraculous comebacks ever to happen, and I vowed that no matter what the game looked like, I wouldn't turn it off, and I'll tell you, that Maple Leaf game against Columbus, I woke the entire house up jumping around when they tied it. I couldn't (laughs) believe it. And then when they won it, I just was like, this is 2020 in a nutshell. This shouldn't have happened. They didn't deserve the win, but they found a way. But I will agree with you. Their defense was exposed, and it really was exposed when Muzzin went down. It showed you that you didn't have the depth beyond Riley and Muzzin which is what you needed to find and get, and they did. They got Brody, they got Bogosian, and then their fourth-line center in Freddie the Goat was a big body who didn't use his big body. So what did they go and do? 
They re-signed Spezza, and they got Jumbo Joe Thornton. So who knows what Thornton can do, but he put up 30 points last year. So if you're giving me 30 points on 700K, I'll take it all day. Yeah, I mean, he's brought in, obviously, for that, that leadership. And, and you know, when you read Twitter, you hear things like, well, what's, John Tavares has lost control of the dressing room. Then why they need to bring in Joe Thornton? They brought in Joe Thornton because he's on a league minimum. He wants to win a Stanley Cup. He thinks he can do it with his hometown team. And wouldn't that be something? And everyone's been watching Thornton over the last few years, and, and he's, the, he's the player in the NHL right now that deserves to win a Stanley Cup. It's been a long career. You know, he debuts with the Bruins in 1997, and, and he's the oldest player in the league, so why not? Let's, let's see what, what can happen. And I would love to see it. I think hockey fans would love to see Thornton win a Stanley Cup. And Why not unite the two uh, droughts, I guess, between Thornton and uh, – <laughs> And the Maple Leafs, so uh, let's see where it goes. But it can't hurt to have them uh, on your team. Uh, and, the, and the San Jose players, you know, they're all devastated that he's gone and they can't say enough good things about him. So um, he'll bring that uh, that leadership to the dressing room, help out uh, John Tavares a little bit, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But, James, you know what, after that playoff, I said this to myself, and I don't know if you would agree – I said, we need to trade one of the big three, or one of the big four, I should say, to get a defenseman. And it could still happen. You never know. And I was willing to say, let's trade Marner for a top defenseman. What? I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Would you, would you go Marner or Nylander there? You know what? And I, I've long said that I wouldn't trade any of them. Um, if I If you put a gun to my head, so to speak, and said, you got to trade one for a defenseman, who would you? Um I would more so lead towards Marner only because if you look at William Nylander's contract, $6.9 million, he's up there with the upper echelon of players of what he produces, especially last season. And if he can continue to do that, that's a value contract on your team. And you need those you know, within your organization. And getting out an $11 million contract with Marner... Um, you can definitely bring in a good defenseman, whether it's an OEL or whoever you're chasing. You know, you could have thrown that money at Alex Petrangelo. But for me... I would say Toronto was built around those four players and those are the ones that they want to have and, and use as their nucleus. And now I think Kyle Dubas is finally realizing that you can't have, you know, 3.5 and $3.6 million players on your third line in Cappy and Janssen. You need to fill it in with some of those cheaper guys like a VC or a Robertson coming through your system. Um, so for me, I didn't want to see any of them go. I felt that we would be able to uh, use Brandon Pridham, which is our capologist, to our advantage um, and be able to bring in players. And Kyle Dubas said it himself yesterday on the conference call, you know, that he's going to be, you know, using the uh, the up and down with the Marlies to manipulate the cap on a game day basis to make sure they're compliant and get guys in the lineup and put guys down, right? And not many teams have that ability to be able to just shuttle a guy down the road opposed to putting him on a plane. So... I don't see needing to move one of those big four. We brought in Brody. We brought in Bogosian. Um, now that might light a fire under a guy like Travis Dermott, who wants a new contract, who uh, you know wants to be an everyday NHLer. But if you're not going to bring it, like you said, you got to bring that consistency, and maybe this lights that fire under him. Same thing with Hall. You know, he was playing with Muzzin. Now he might not get that chance. So you need to bring that consistency to earn your dollar value. But there's also this Mackenzie Weger deal that's out there that they're talking about. So, 
it looks like maybe there might be a package of a Hall or a Dermot and whatever, but I don't want to move on from those four players. Not yet. Um, you bring in this veteran leadership, you bring in these different guys, you bring in a better defenseman uh, or defense period with Bogosian and Brody, um, and now you uh, you see what you can roll with. You give I said it before the offseason started, you give this core one more chance with uh, the tinkering you do in a better D. And the thing I love, absolutely love about Jor Thornton coming to this says is I'm very excited to play in front of Freddie Anderson. I love that goalie. I love the way he plays. And he did that because of the way the media and the fans attack Freddie in his style of play. And he wanted to say that he's one of the best goaltenders he's going to get to play with because he wants to tell people this is a great goaltender and you guys are beating a guy into the ground that gives you solid goaltending, but it has nobody in front of him really, aside from Riley and Muzzin, to play with. So, I mean, you put any other goaltender around the league in that net and with that decor, and I guarantee you they're not replicating Anderson's numbers. So um, that's a long-winded answer to say I don't want to get rid of the big four and uh, just a little <laughs> tip of the cap to Joe Thornton and say, hey, you know, thank you very much for uh, standing up for Freddie and the, one of the first things you said as a Maple Leaf. You're right. Um, none of that last year was on Freddie Anderson. I mean, the guy faces, you know, he's in the top five, I shot faced in the NHL. Every so year. Every single year. Every year. And the Leafs give up a ton of shots. That's no secret. And they've got to get that tightened up if they want to be true Stanley Cup contenders. No, definitely. Well, my thing was, and I don't know if you agree with this one, Kevin, but I look at a guy like Carlson, you know, over in Arizona. He didn't want to be traded. But I, I look at guys who are good players for shot suppression whether they're blocking shots or not allowing shots through. And he was one of them. Another one was Rackle Gudis, but he went to Florida. Um, I, I want the shot total to go down. And I think if you have, you know, a more competent defense in front of you, Freddie doesn't have to scramble as much. Freddie doesn't have to do as much as he's been doing. And then you have a goaltender who's ready. And bear in mind, we also now have a backup goaltender on the Toronto Maple Leafs that can get you some points and play some games in Jack Campbell. And then we also have a competent third string and a guy who started for San Jose last year in Dell. So, I mean, addressed every need that he's needed to address. Dubas is very crafty at his job. <laughs> you know, sometimes us Leaf fans question, you know, what he's doing with that. But he did add, uh, you know, uh, probably a top four defenseman in TJ Brody, uh, probably a bottom line pair defenseman in Bogosian. That beats it up a little bit. And adding Thornton. Uh, VC as well. Simmons. Um, trading capital. Uh, right, we have Wayne Simmons. I, I forgot about everything he's done. So, uh, Wayne Simmons to Toronto, it felt like that was imminent for what, the last five years, every summer? I think we talked about, you know, we'd love to see Wayne Simmons in the Leaf uniform. We get to see that. So, I think, and the resigning of Sessa, too, I do like that move. Um, all those veteran guys going to help out the young guys and. As we fans, we we hope every single season, don't we? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's rough being a Leaf fan sometimes, but uh, I, that's just how it was raised. So uh, I'll have to put faith in what Dubas is doing. And uh, whenever the NHL comes back, hopefully January 1st-ish, uh, hopefully they'll be ready to go right out of camp. Well, I'm going to ask you this question, one question about the Montreal Canadiens. They made a lot of moves themselves, obviously bolstered their blue line, bolstered their forward corps, traded away Domi, got Anderson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're not going to praise the Montreal Canadiens here, but I'm going to ask you, do you see them as potential threats to be in the top three of the Atlantic Division this year? Sure. 
Absolutely. Uh, they, they surprised a lot of people, I think, with their takedown of Pittsburgh and uh, getting to that uh, first round against Philadelphia. I'm, I'm not going to rule anything out. Um, I, I think the Habs uh, do have a good core. They, they've got to get more out of uh, Jonathan Duran. He's got to return to the, how he was in junior, you know, with the, with the Mooseheads, just a, a dominant threat. I don't know if he'll get to that point, but it would be nice if the Habs saw, you know, that side, nice for the Habs, I guess, if they saw um, that side of him a little bit more. Uh, there were, The rumors were going on that Brandon Gallagher and the contract wasn't doing well last week, then all of a sudden, boom, he signed. That's, that's big for the Habs, too. Uh, they made some impressive moves. Um, Carey Price, obviously his health is, is number one, but Jake Allen's his backup now. Pretty solid backup there in Jake Allen from New Brunswick uh, as well. So, uh, And the Anderson for, for Domi deal. I'm, I don't really know how I feel about that one. Um, Josh Anderson, a good player with the Blue Jackets, but I felt like Domi was kind of a, a guy that, that drew a lightning rod a lot of times for, for Habs and, and uh, the criticisms from, from fans. So uh, maybe they wanted to move on from that, but I, I, I thought Domi might have been a leader in the dressing room for as young of a player as he is. If he's anything like his like his old man, he's a guy that can uh, you know fight back against criticism. So uh, Domi to Columbus and Anderson to Montreal, uh, two players that are you know they're pretty much even in my eyes. So we'll see how that trade pans out. But uh, Mark Bergeron's won a lot of those one for one deals, I think. No, he definitely has. Uh, I look at the Anderson deal. If Anderson can return to form after the injuries he has and we all know what psyche does to a player you know you break a bone or you break a leg you know going to the corner whatever the injury is you're really hesitant to use that body part for a little while until you you start to feel comfortable so who knows how long it'll take josh anderson to get to that point but they did pay a pretty price tag for him to perform so i'm hoping that he does i'm not a habs fan um you know bradley's fan they're bred to be our uh, mortal enemy so to speak but I really do want to see them do well because if we have this all-Canadian division, how great would it be to see the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens possibly match up in whatever division that's called, the all-Canadian or whatever, you know, and go into the playoffs playing each other in a best-of-seven. I think the country would be set on fire. You know, you get that matchup and then you get the Battle of Alberta going at the same time. Whew! Sign me up. Oh. Oh, sign me up, too. I mean, the Leafs and Habs haven't played in the playoffs since, what, 1978, I think. So I think we're we're overdue for that. But the biggest thing, James, we don't have to see Boston if that's uh, – You know what? An I'm thinking about Boston, and you know what? We talk about uh, the Atlantic Division, you know, the way it is right now. I look at Boston and say, you know what? I haven't seen very many Boston fans chirping online to the Maple Leafs this off season. I haven't um, seen all the usual memes about, you know, when we sign players and you're not going to beat us. And, you know, I'm looking. I said it in my video last night. I'm looking under rocks, looking, you know, flipping through pages, trying to find Boston fans lately. It's it seems like they've uh, had a little bit of a bad off season, losing Krug, and then you know, you Zdeno Chara is not signed, and then you have a half in, half out to Garask. Um, you know, it's it might not be the best of times in Boston, and for Leaf fans, that's a good news right there. Well, that's a you're right. That is good news for the for Leaf fans, and I think the biggest loss there is Tory Tory Krug. I mean, it seemed like he brought it against Toronto every single time he played. All the Bruins did really, but I I do like Tory Krug's game, and 
and uh, him going to St. Louis, that'll be big for, for the Blues and a good replacement for uh, Petrangelo. Well, before I let you go today, Kevin, I want to ask one question. Obviously, we're all big fans of Justin Barron, and he was a guy I wanted the Toronto Maple Leafs to draft with the 15th overall pick. Um, you know, he's a player I thought very highly of. Um, obviously, we're waiting for him to get back in Moose Country, but how far along do you think it will be until we see him playing with Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and those boys over in Colorado and ripping up the NHL? Hard to tell at this point. Um, you know, uh, he still has a couple years left uh, with the Mooseheads, and then uh, for Barron, he'll he'll go off. Or this might be his last year with the Mooseheads, and then Colorado obviously want him to to go to uh, the AHL or or be in their system, and then from there it's just uh, it's it's just playing your way up. And for Colorado, I mean, they have a lot of high end defensemen right now. Eric Johnson's still there. Kale McCarr is obviously their biggest defenseman, and Ryan Graves, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia's own, uh, just signed his own three-year contract uh, last week. So that was great to see. Now, I think Barron is now the fifth Nova Scotian in their system with McKinnon and Graves and uh, Matthew Steinberg and uh, Shane Bowers. So that's just so, so exciting. And it's, uh, it seems like Joe Sackick really loves those players uh, from right here in Nova Scotia. Love to see that. Uh, and we'll love to see Justin Barron in an Avalanche uniform one day, hopefully sooner than later. But uh, he'll have to, uh, you know, prove that he can stay healthy. Number one, and number two, um, you know, make that jump to the pro leagues, and it might start in the AHL for him. Well, I look forward to seeing Justin Barron there. Obviously, a big supporter here, and obviously, we always follow the guys that leave Moose Country and go on into the NHL. Uh, Kevin, I want to thank you very much for taking the time with me today. Obviously, we have a little bit of fun every time we're on here talking about the Moose or the Q and the Leafs. So, my friend, I hope the NHL comes back. I look forward to watching you on many more broadcasts, and uh, hopefully we're talking you know, some Mooseheads playoff hockey if that all comes to fruition towards the end of the season, my friend. Well, I'm, I'm hoping so too. And uh, again, our next game is Thursday the 29th against uh, Moncton, Halifax. So, uh, you can check it out on East Link 6, 10, and 10. Thanks so much, James. Really appreciate it. Not a problem, my friend. Have a great day. As you heard, that was Kevin Northup of East Link TV. He does a play-by-play for the Halifax Mooseheads. Checking in, talking about the queue, the Leafs, and everything in between. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. Mm-hmm.